so we've spent uh, pretty much a week on each one of these aspects of what the church was devoted to. The apostles' teaching, objective truth, fellowship, simply meaning um, the idea of koinonia, of mutual participation, being mindful of uh, a consumption mentality when it comes to the church. The church is not a Walmart. Um, it, the church is actually a place where giving and receiving should be uh, deep-seated rhythms in the human heart. We talked about the breaking of bread, which in, there's two references to that in this passage, but the particular breaking of bread we spoke about here because of the death of the Lord love is in reference to the Lord's Supper to communion, which we celebrated for the first time uh, a couple weeks ago, which was And So today we're jumping into prayer, or I should say we're, we're revisiting prayer, because we spent last week talking about sort of trying to develop a, a foundational understanding, a theological definition, a praxis point for what prayer actually is. And there was a lot of great dialogue last week about that. And so I'll read to you, since this is where we ended, uh, the, the technical definition, you might say, the one that you'll read in all the books about what prayer is. Prayer is human, uh, human approach or our ability to communicate to or with God. And there are some categories here we're going to use for discussion's sake. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a moment. It's human approach to communication to or with God, and we address God in adoration, in confession, in thanksgiving, with supplication, and with intercession. And a consciousness, it says, of God's presence, love, direction, and grace may be experienced. And that's important to know, especially because we talked about last week how sometimes when we pray, um, there is law and wonder, like you read about in Acts chapter 2. Sometimes um, there is not. And so just because there is an absence of law and wonder doesn't mean that there is an absence of the presence of God. However, um, just because there is awe and wonder is also not a proof text for the fact that, that God is, is present in your life. Because some folks would read a text like this and say, well, you know, that kind of emotional stuff, that's not really good. Uh, but we are emotive beings, so there is a reality to us being emotional times with God. And I'm sure every one of us has, has stories or seasons of life where something very significant was going on, and God spoke to the depths of who we are in our souls. Now, when we speak about prayer today, what I want to do is give us some, some categories for us to think about prayer life. And the reason I'm doing this is because no matter where you are in your faith, meaning maybe you are a person who has been committed to praying for a long time, you understand it well, and you are praying. Some, for some people, this is like a borderline spiritual gift. It's amazing watching folks who pray uh, and have that sort of passion. Like we said last week, these are folks that go immediately to the knee. Um, some of us might be wired to go to the plow. This is the way I am wired, meaning we see things going on and we tend to want to immediately act upon things, and that's not a bad rhythm either. It's just that they are meant to be held sort of in tension with each other. Prayer without action can be pretty dangerous, and action without prayer can be a bit confused. And so today, what I want to do is give us, we're going to spend some time looking at each one of these words. And although they, I'm going to read them in a structured way, I really have no desire to uh, to study them in a structured way, meaning um, I'm going to surf the wave of wherever this goes this morning, and just so you're clear on this, you know that I do not surf in the ocean uh, because of uh, the awareness I have of the marine biology ecosystem that exists there. This is the only time you're going to see me surfing anything, because I can speak to you without being in the food chain of another animal's life, right? So, five, five things that we mentioned briefly and started discussing last week. Um, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, and intercession. For a moment, think about this. If you've ever taught something or have been taught something, I like to use the analogy um, when my son was younger, uh, he played baseball for, I think it was five years, and I coached in an assistant way for a couple of years, and then eventually um, I got tired of being an assistant and wanted to coach my own team. And so uh, there's a lot of, of sort of structure and technique that takes place in baseball, especially when it comes to swinging a bat. And so what we would do with kids that were starting out, or even kids that had played baseball their whole life, is we would remind them of these basic sort of mechanics of what a swing is. And the three that I would always use, one is I would say, make it a frame. And what that means is they would stand in a way where their feet were sort of equidistant, and they their body, if you looked at it, sort of looked a little bit like an A. That was step one. Step two, we would say, was to load your power. And load your power simply meant once you had your feet planted firmly, you would put just a little bit of emphasis 
on your back foot. In other words, you were preparing your body to receive a pitch. Step three was what we call squishing the bug. And squishing the bug was a proper swing when it's done. Your, your right heel or left heel, depending on which way you're bowing, is a left heel or right It should actually turn and pivot. And just like you would step on a bug. And so we would teach kids these three things. Now, what was funny is during the games, um, some parents would yell out techniques and steps that were actually not good. And maybe you were one of these parents. Uh, man, I've been in so many games where like kids were hitting well, and parents would be screaming like, raise your elbow, raise your elbow. And so kids would like get up there, and they would hear their parents, and they would try to swing back with their elbow in their ear. We would tell them that's actually not necessary for a proper swing. Comfort is wherever your elbow ends up is where it ends up. And what happens is it's amazing. Over the course of a season, you're training these kids to do these three things in order. It seems highly mechanical, right? Like almost uneventful, like a bit boring. A-frame, load, swing, switch the butt. You keep going, keep going, keep going. But at some point what happens is, especially if you're working with a, a hit stick, you know, which is like a face ball, I mean a, a fake ball attached to a long rod so you can control the, the pitch. What eventually happens is, in the, in the kid's mind, the steps one, two, and three go away, and a swing starts to happen. It's the most amazing thing ever. The, they're so grounded in the fundamentals of a swing that they're no longer thinking, thinking A-frame, low swing. They're just doing it. It becomes rather natural, and that's when they begin to hit the ball. And that's how I want to approach these categories today. I don't want us to think of them as uh, separate. I don't want us to think of them as sort of independent entities in and of themselves. They are five rhythms that are present in prayer. And although we might focus on certain ones at certain times, our goal is to sort of get to the place where I just mentioned, like when somebody swings a bat, they're doing it just because it has become impulsively natural. Meaning we learn to pray, not necessarily with the formality of these words, although there can be a time for that, but we learn to pray based on the significance of what these things actually allow us to do in, uh, in our prayer life with God. And so these five aspects, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, intercession. If you've never prayed before, if you've never studied prayer, it might be wise for you to work through all of them. In other words, to, to recognize that our prayer life can be incomplete without one of these, uh, whatever they are. If you have been praying for quite some time, then you probably know that there are times where you likely have emphasis points in what's going on with these, uh, these sort of categories. There are times like maybe this week, you, know, you don't need to run through all five of these, but you're just going to really focus on what it means to be thankful. That makes perfect sense. I challenge you, and I'm certainly available after this teaching, in any way that I can help you, to think about how to apply these words. But these, these words are important because in them, we learn what prayer looks like and why it is important. And so I want to just briefly talk through each one, and we can begin dialoguing here. That's the rhythm we have here, at least to the end of this year, we're going to do some back and forth. But we start when every, every new year we do this, this teaching, it's a, a corporate prayer service, where our whole body prays through these things together. And we do the formal prayer, um, encouraging people to pray as they feel led throughout the time. But for this morning, let's discuss this. Let's talk about adoration. Um, adoration, I would like to describe as a recognition of God's character. And so anytime we're praying, if, if you're new to Jesus, if you've known Jesus for some, a long time, but you're kind of cold and numb, this is an important thing. A recognition and understanding of who God is. That's what I simply mean by adoration. And I want to ask you, why, why would it be important that we understand and know God's character when we begin to speak to him through the incredible opportunity and power of prayer? Why is it whether whether we're verbally declaring who God is or we know we walk with God for a long time and the assumptions of our heart are like that baseball swing, like we know God is good and kind, and just we know them. Why is it important that we know them? Why does knowing the character of God proceed a healthy prayer life? Because I think if you're praying, you need to know that you're praying to someone, one that's able to answer your prayers, two that's good, that's inclined to answer your prayers, someone that cares for you. The nature of knowing who God is makes you confident in the fact that you can broach him with your 
petitions, your requests, your intercessions, your confessions. You know, he's not going to unfairly judge you with your confession because he's gracious. You know, like knowing the nature of God is what your ability to pray depends on. Okay, so that's that's a very key point. Those of you here or online that haven't heard it. Um, what you are beginning to discuss is what we would call the attributes of God or attributal theology, which simply means one of the reasons we want to know the character of God as we pray is because we know that when we go to him, he is, as you said, he is kind and he is trustworthy. Um, he is able to bring about change in our situations. Uh, and there's a million other sort of ways we can describe the nature and the character of God. So when we speak of adoration, it actually is important that we know who we are speaking to. For example, let me just give you a practical analogy. Like if if you needed five dollars badly, okay, and you had one, just one friend in life who needed ten dollars badly, and you kept asking that person for five dollars, and they were never able to provide it to you. Like after twenty or thirty years, hopefully maybe you know quicker than that, you figure out that this person is incapable of providing what I uh, what I need. All right, and so what happens here is we either through a long-term relationship with Jesus, we begin to absorb, we, we know his character, and we know, particularly when it comes to things like confession, that, that we can bring these things to God, we can seek mercy from him, and he promises to show it to us. So understanding God's character is critical. Not only does it frame a healthy prayer life, it actually inspires a bit of confidence in us to pray. Because none of us would pray, and this is a bit of a double-edged sword, None of us, if we believe that prayer matters, and that's the assumption here, we want to know that we're praying to somebody who actually has the ability to, to, to do things. And we want to pray to a person whom we know loves us and wants the best for us. However, um, if we don't pray these things, like if we know these things in our heads, cognitively that God is good and kind and wants to be in our lives and we don't pray, it then begins to say something about us, about our, our lack of self-awareness when it comes to the fact that God has also discussed this, but we don't necessarily participate in it. And so, one more, one more sort of dialogue here about adoration. What, what are some other reasons, we had some very particular area to discuss, what are some other reasons why knowing the character of God is important when we speak about a healthy prayer life? How do we even know what the character and nature of God is? I wonder if it's more for us than for him. <laughs> like I think, I think it's like what what she was saying. But like if you look at all these other religions and all these other gods, right? And adoration is us basically like saying that we know him and why we know him and the characters that make him different from all these other things. You know, he actually like came to earth as a man. You know, he dwelt with us. But I wonder if, I mean, I guess God really wants to hear us admire him, but I wonder if he gave us adoration for us to remember. Like, oh my, oh wait, he does, he knows me, he loves me. Like God's like, yeah, I've been telling you that. <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a both and, but it's definitely for us. Because why would, you know, it's the same thing. Why would we confess? I mean, I'm saying the same thing she said, but why would we confess if he's not a good God? Why would we give thanksgiving if he's not a gracious, loving God? And why would I even give him my prayer request? I wouldn't. So I think you've got to start at the beginning and remind ourselves, as much as we are saying it to him, we're reminding ourselves of who he is. Yeah, I think there's some validity in that. Um, there are a couple of cautions, too, I would say. So there's no question that the more we interact with God, the more likely we are to, to understand his nature. When you, in other words, the more we are likely to, to trust him. And that's just a natural byproduct excuse me, of any relationship. If you're in a relationship where trust and goodness and kindness is the norm, over time you will have a deeper sense of trust and goodness and, and kindness. And so that absolutely is true. Um, and I do agree that in part prayer is about us, but I would be careful to not say like, and I've actually heard some extremes here, like prayer is just about us, like, you know, God is sort of like distant and a bit disconnected from the world, and ultimately he's going to bring all things about, 
according to his glory. All that stuff is like, you know, we hear some Bible verses here, and it really starts to, to, to move the point of why we pray, that God is active and engaged in our lives. And one other thing I would say is, um, although Scripture commands us to, to worship God, I, I want us to make sure we know that when we speak of adoration, this is not coming from the context of a, of a megalomaniac. And what I mean is, is God is not like strutting in heaven like about 250 billion people are praying about how great I am right now. <laughs> not, like, God does not need our adoration. Um, there is something deeply important, though, about us understanding God's character. Because the truth is, is if we feel like God is not trustworthy or God is not capable or we have had a bad experience or whatever it is, the less likely we are to understand not just the power of prayer, but the sort of relational, the healthy relational dependency that it can create in us. And so it is very important that we have a clear understanding of what of what adoration means, whether that is something you verbally do. If you're, if you're starting to pray for the first time in your life and you're recognizing like, oh, the Bible says God is good and something's really rough right now in my life, but I can trust that God is, God's got me because he's good. That's a good thing. Um, but you don't want this to drift. And this is sort of what I was saying about the word admire. Like, you, you also see the unhealthy version of this where there's, like, with the Pharisees, there's, um, there's a false sense of holiness that precedes what they say to God. There's a, a, a rigid structure of, of um, oh, man, it's terrible. There's, there's a rigid structure of self-righteousness that they think is what it means to adore God. But it's not. Actually, what's happening in that situation is they're adoring, uh, they're adoring themselves. They're puffed up in their own knowledge and their own understanding. But they've really missed the, the relational connection between, uh, between God and, and people. And so adoration is simply a recognition of God's character. That should be present in our prayer. Confession, I would say, is a recognition of our character when we pray. And this is probably the one that we're going to like the least because it, it requires us to be, uh, if God's good and kind and trustworthy, then what that means is we know that we can go to him with our faults and our failures and our mistakes and our sin. And we know that we can seek him for dependence, for strength. We know that we can ask him for mercy and for grace. Confession is, is critical. Because what we're, what we're essentially doing here is we're, we're recognizing who God is, and we're recognizing who we are. And when these two things combine, you create like a fertile soil for, for sanctification. You understand in a, in a more deep or significant way who God is. And we understand the places where um, our hearts please God, where we really can be thankful for the way he's already worked in our lives. And we also can have a peace about the fact that he's still working in our lives. So when we say confession, it's not, I don't mean like, one, that you need to necessarily like go to the confessional every time before you pray, but I know sometimes I get angry driving down Dunlop, and I don't, I don't adore God, I just apologize to him for the fact that I've been a little bit irritable in my spirit, um, especially if I'm listening to any classic rock, it's just bad um, when I'm driving down Dunlop, right? So confession is important. Why, why would it be important, let's build on this, Understanding God's character, especially with something as as intimate and sensitive as confession, why would it be important that we know the character of God when it comes to recognizing who we are and who we are not yet in Jesus? Well, it's the problem. I mean, in anything we do in life, like, I mean, I've gone to the doctor and they say, so this is what your finger was supposed to look like, and it doesn't. And I think when we look at these two relating together, we are focused on looking at who God is, understanding who He is, understanding that's that's the goal. This is this is the why. You know, why did He why did He spend 33 years on it? Why did He choose us? He came to show us character and who He was. And when we focus on the adoration, then we come to the next part, and we can really it's going to just automatically expose those elements where we need to be prayer. Lord, remind me better about who you are. Because I know who you are, and I'm supposed to be like that. And clearly, when I am able to visually know and, and understand that I know who you are, I can clearly see I'm not. And Lord, just continue to remind me in those two things. So when those are patterned together, yeah, they're, they're intertwined as we look at who he is, that's who we should be. 
And like you said, it's not hard to understand what God has done to us and that we're not legend uh, too often. You know, so we don't think. Yeah, so correct me if I, if I misunderstand you here, but um, what, what was being said here is that a recognition, for example, of God's kindness and his mercy encourages us to know that when we, when we go to God, um, there is help, correct? Like you use the physical doctor as an example. Like if you went to the doctor and said, hey, you know, my thumb is broken, and the doctor said, man, that looks bad. You 900 push-ups right now for me, or you got scolded for 12 hours. You, you might not go back to that doctor. The point of that doctor is he or she exists to help you heal, right? That's the point of it. And I think the same is true when it comes to our spiritual life. Um, the more we are comfortable with going to God about the things we struggle with, the more we are comfortable with, uh, with approaching God uh, at all times of the day, in all seasons of life, the more that it shows we understand God, God does not put confession in our lives so that he can keep us at a distance. Um, this idea really is showing that God wants us to be ever increasingly close to him. And one of the ways, this is true even in our physical relationships, you know, if you have a, an argument with a spouse or a friend, um, they, we, we see this in our earthly relationships. You, you know, you might not, like, get formal and, I don't know, put on a jacket and rub oil on your head and confess, but you might just say, like, hey, I'm really sorry about what happened. I, I was really out of, out of line. And that's, that's a human form of confession. It's an, it's an apology. It's an expression of, hey, I know I really sort of fell short here and, and hurt you. And what happens in healthy relationships is that there's a, there's a level of forgiveness there. And the relationship continues to grow and grow and grow. Uh, on the other side of the fence, if every time you, uh, if you were not cognizant at all of where there are places to grow, like if you really were um, rude or mean to somebody you care about on a regular basis, and there's not even the, the, the awareness to know that, to see that, or to sense that, let alone the desire to say that there's a need to, to bring about change in that area, then what happens is that relationship is likely to suffer. It'll go in the other direction. So that is not what confession is about. It is not about God pushing us away. It's about us learning to, to trust Him more deeply and to grow in His His grace in more significant ways. Matt Perry. Right. Um, I, I, I find it kind of funny. I like what you said about just confessing sometimes on its own. Although they can go together, I, I think about when your kids come and say, hey, I broke the lamp. Uh, when they confess to that, like, can we go get ice cream now? <laughs> I, I, I really, I, I think sometimes they intertwine that way in the wrong manner, because you do that yourself with God. You say, hey, I'm really sorry for these things, and I have this. And I, I think they need to be a separate entity, but together. Um, yeah, uh, that's spot on. That's exactly why I use the analogy of of the swing. In other words, in the baseball swing, there's a point where we're very focused on each aspect of the swing so it's healthy. But then there's a point where you just know how to swing back and hit a ball. And your example of, you know, uh, a child coming to you and apologizing for breaking something and then saying, hey, can we go get ice cream or whatever, the spiritual version of that is the same. This is not an argument for the fact that we need to do these five things in order every time. It is an argument, though, that throughout the course of our prayer life, we should see evidence of of these things, and sometimes, uh, sometimes you might start right, like this week. You might just start full blown on, on being thankful. Uh, that's absolutely true. Some people might start this week recognizing that they have a lot more to be thankful for than they're than they're aware of, and that might push them into um, confession. But all these things are rooted in understanding the nature of the one we go to when we speak. Thing on in the in the water, it was just <coughs> embarrassing. <laughs> it was so much. 
to punish. But we have tried to tell our kids, we're not here to punish you. We're here to disciple you. And sometimes that comes with correction. And I think that the great physician, Sarah, just wants your best interest. And she knows in the long term, it's better. I was wrong, you were right. So I think that's a good analogy because I think so often we don't do that because we're not in the word and we're listening to everybody around us. Sarah, I think you should come up here so we can worship you right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good analogy. So, uh, literally, like, the reason I look like a dope on vacation with a big so plastic thing was because, so because Dr. Henry reattached my nerve. I just cut my finger. I cut it, like, basically to the bone and detached the nerve. And those were the things I was told to do so that I could move my finger again and get some healing, feeling back in it. And it's a great example of... I say regularly, the, the physiological, the medical world, and the Christian world, there's a ton of parallels. Um, you, if you, generally speaking, have a good doctor and follow their advice and what they tell you to do, then you are very likely to see um, some form of, of, of healing. That's what we want. However, if I didn't look like it, though, I, I, to me, I didn't care what I looked like. I wanted to use my pinky. That was my primary goal. And I think that the medical analogy is a good one. When you have a good physician, somebody you trust, you you are able to bring them things, and and there is though an implication here, and this will move us a little bit down the chain here, is that there there are times when I don't like the word punish. Um, in fact, it was Abe actually helped me to process this a little bit. I think the word consequence is a, is better than than punish. There might be a consequence, like if I don't take care of my finger the way that I'm supposed to, then what that means is the consequence really could be that I have a, a you know, a, I have a pinky that's not functional. And so we, part of trusting God is knowing who he is, that requires us to be in the, in the scripture, understanding his character, and then, and then really following him in the areas that he leads us in, whether that's um, through explicit scriptural instruction or healthy community. It is important that we that we follow and recognize a part of confessing it so that we can heal and grow in God's goodness. So um, that's why I encourage you to not see confession as a problematic word, but to see it as like, it's almost at the epicenter of how we how we can grow in God. Yes? Uh, I'm glad that my comments directed us down that path, but it's actually not where I sort of was. Okay. <laughs> so I'll use a different one. Uh, you know, what you know, t-shirts, white t-shirts, or even white socks, and you get new ones. And you, if somebody asked you what color your shirt was, you would tell them it's a white t-shirt. Until you get a new t-shirt. And then you lay a new t-shirt down, and you realize across the course of time, that's not a white t-shirt anymore. Now you have a new one. And I guess for me, what I'm going to say, you with position, it's not as much saying he's capable, that piece which we've already talked about, it's showing that while I think that I'm okay, it, when we align to him, it exposes things we have to confess. I have to be able to say, oh yeah, that t-shirt's not white. It's not a white t-shirt. But I compare it to the perfect one. And so I guess that was the piece for me that when we're looking at confession, it can really show the things I need to confess. It really exposes if I'm really focus on God aligning with him, what is wrong in my life? Yes. You know, it's not always the obvious. Yes. It, it, it slowly got there. I, you know, gradually with time, that is an area in my life that I need to confess to him that I've got to get it back. I've got to redirect and get back on the path. Yeah. One second. The, that's, that's a, that's don't a, ignore me. That's good. But what I would say is, I will not, I promise. We don't want to, we don't want to be partial in, in saying like, I, and I don't think you're saying this, I just want to make sure. We don't want to say like, hey, uh, my life is defined by figuring out how dirty my shirts are and how clean God is, right? The truth is that that, that is part of what confession is, particularly when it comes to deep-seated sin. But like the great thing teaches that he washes white as snow, right? And so the idea is that you don't want to leave somebody in a dirty shirt. That's a bad place to end your faith. You want to recognize that part of recognizing the stainedness of your shirt, using your analogy, is that the forgiveness and grace of God cleanses and it makes us right. And and he really does, in this case, he's the great issuer of clean, of clean <laughs> shirts. So I'm not at all saying like confession doesn't doesn't cause us to sort of 
recognize deep-seated areas of sin. I just like if that's where the gospel ended. I this I would be doing something very different in my life. I, I would say that that's not a. Um, that would be really hard to just have a God who only shows me what I do wrong, but but um, but then doesn't care to help me become what He says is is right. So I think we're on the same page, here, right? Okay, cool. And now I got yelled at over here. So who's Really been shown unhealthy paradigms of relationships, and we have a 
well. So very valid point about, uh, don't hear me saying like uh, there's a one-sidedness to this, but this is a good segue just so that we can get out of here before Thanksgiving. Uh, these next two things, well, Thanksgiving, uh, all I would say here is that when we speak of Thanksgiving, I think this directly addresses sort of what we talked about last week a little bit, about the fact that sometimes we, uh, our timelines might be different than God's, we might have certain expectations in the way we want him to work. Sometimes those things absolutely happen like that, but a lot of times they, they don't. So, you know, if we were to, for example, rewind the clock 3,000 years, and if somebody were to say, hey, write out a, write out a story of what you think God's going to redeem the world, I don't think the natural story would be Jesus. Uh, so that's a great example where you, you see God work in a way that even to this day, some people look at it and they think it's a, they think it's, a it's folly. Paul says in Corinthians that for those who are in Jesus, we look at the cross and we see salvation. But for others, they look at it and they, they see foolishness. And so you can see it's, it's, it's a, a bit of a different way. And we want to make sure that when we're praying, we're never disconnecting it from Thanksgiving. No matter where we are in the prayer process, whether God brings about something we're asking for um, or prohibits something for reasons that we don't even see, I think it's critical that our heart is undergirded by a posture of thanksgiving. It, ha it has to be. Um, and if it's not, that is a great place where there can be confession and communal accountability. Otherwise, what happens is God becomes, and this is N.T. Wright explicitly says, God becomes like a cosmic slot machine. And what happens is, is we, we put our 25-cent prayer in, and we expect our 75-cent jackpot every time. And when it doesn't work that way, um, we, we get away from God. We start getting angry at God. And there might be a myriad of reasons why things are not working the way that we expect them to. But that does not mean that there is not anything that we can be thankful for, even in that moment, knowing that we can communicate with God. So Thanksgiving, I, I simply bring this up uh, because this is a week where we tend to think about what we're, we're thankful for. And I want to encourage you all to, to sort of think about what it means to have a uh, a heart that's in a perpetual state of thanksgiving, not because of circumstances, but because of who Jesus is. Those are two very different lives. Thanksgiving for circumstances, that's the one most humans live their life by. Um, in other words, this is good, or I'm happy here, therefore I can be thankful. But the cross gives us a power to actually be thankful uh, in areas of life when they're not necessarily going the way um, that we want them to go. So it's, it's imperative that thanksgiving, uh, it's really, a, it's a byproduct of knowing that you have a God that is trustworthy and kind and good. And it gives us a bit of a, of a space to say, uh, I, don't, I don't expect or think, or at least I need to be aware of the fact that God might not exactly bring about what, what is going on or what I think should be going on in the exact way that I, uh, that I wanted to. And so here's where we end today. With supplication and intercession, I want to leave a couple minutes of discussion time for this. So, supplication and intercession are a bit interrelated for the sake of our, our conversation today. Supplication, the idea of supply need, uh, we are, not only are we capable, but we're instructed to pray to God for our physical, spiritual, and emotional needs, and at times even wants. In other words, there's a deep connection and understanding that God is a good Father who cares for us, and our being comfortable going to Him and asking Him to, to do things, whatever those things may be. Now, our understanding of God's character is likely going to greatly shape what we ask God to do, but I don't want you thinking, um, and we, we talked actually a great deal about this at our community group last week, um, that, that we, I personally think the Western church under asks. And what I mean by that is, like God has promised us in the name of Jesus we're going to do things greater than He did when He was on earth, because the power of the Spirit is around the world. We should be praying that way, that God is using our lives and churches to bring about, look what's going on right now. I mean, the world is in a cosmic hurt because of all the craziness of, of, uh, of this COVID stuff. And for some Christians, they've ran to the hills, about 30% of them, we don't even know where they are anymore. And there are some people that really think there is an opportunity, like they recognize there's a hurt in the world. And one of the, one of the things that it means to follow Jesus is to is to light up the areas of darkness where they exist, in this case, a physical one. And so supplication and intercession, for, for simplicity's sake, think of it this way. Supplication is when we ask God to provide for us. Intercession is sort of when we ask God to provide 
for others. And these two things are like bow and sinew. Uh, because sometimes they, they do sort of interact. They can, they can cross-pollinate or be very close. And I uh, was talking with Amy earlier about this. An example that I would give for this is sort of like uh, a buddy of mine's daughter just got married on Friday. And he's been praying for the better of 20 years for God to, to raise up a husband for. And that's a place where supplication and intercession have intersected, right? This is where you have a dad who's prayed forever for God to provide the right person for these two people to meet. Uh, but at the same time, he's also interceding for his daughter so that he doesn't have to be the guy to share if it goes wrong, right? On the back end, you want somebody that's in love and care or cherish your, your daughter. So with supplication and intercession, um, I'll say this, and then we'll take the remainder of our time for any questions or feedback. What this means is that we should be willing to go to God, as Hebrews says, with boldness, with persistence, with confidence, in all things and without ceasing, with a trusting heart. In all things and without ceasing, with a trusting heart. Persistence and confidence and boldness. These are literal biblical motifs. Jesus talks about knocking on the door and never stopping. Hebrews tells us we can approach the throne boldly. Why? Because we can give thanks for what Jesus has done. We can bring stuff to God. And we can also trust that if we're in a healthy community, this is a key part of this, that if we're bringing things to God that maybe are not great or good, that he's going to show us that. Not just through our personal relationship with him, but if we're in accountable uh, relationships, particularly in the church, this is one of the reasons why we're still fighting to keep the church uh, thriving in America and around the world, is other people are often part of the way that God brings about clarity in our lives. And so when it comes to supplication or intercession, my last question is, what are your questions about this? You know, I mean, I've talked to people who think they can't ask God for anything. And I've also talked to people who, you know, are praying and think that God's evidence of love and favor on them is if he provides them the G6 jet. There's literal pastors in America that have said God loves me more because I have a $9 million private uh, jet. So uh, the range of this in America is cataclysmic. It's just massive. Where are you at? challenge that says you don't have because you don't ask. It's a challenge of the dynamic of ask and you will receive. And yet that is, has to fit within the fact that God's going to do what's best. And so, you know, I, I think sometimes that is the battle. Okay, I'm asking. God, I'm asking. This certainly seems like what I need or what that person needs. And then we have to Either, and again, sometimes it's timing, but I think that's the great battle of this whole God, you said ask. I don't have to, but I'm not asking. So now I'm asking, but I still don't ask. And so, trying to balance all of that together. Yeah. Yeah, that's what came up last week. Maybe you are persistently asking, but some, at least in the paradigm we're expecting, things are not working out the way uh, we want. But you bring up another verse, like where we're literally told to ask, right? That, that, is, a, that is a key thing Jesus said. This is how you should pray. 
It's not a parable about adoration. It's not a parable about confession. It's not a parable about thanksgiving. It's a parable about supplication. And I know there are some people that pray for Jets, but I don't think there's anybody in this church that prays for Jets. So we can just worry about maybe the other people who are afraid to ask. Um, if you look at the Lord's Prayer, there's no thanksgiving. There's one line of confession, and there's about one line of adoration. Everything else in the Lord's Prayer is supplication. And our community group did a study on prayer. I just want to share this with you. Where we looked at all, I, there's a book that is like just every prayer in the Bible um, with context. But it, it doesn't have some kind of theological slant or anything. It's just prayers. And the first 17 of the um, first 20 prayers of the Bible are for other people, which is very and all of the prayers up until Exodus are um, supplication. You get the first confessionary prayer in Exodus. It says very interesting, like this subject is very interesting to me because um, typically when somebody says like, you should ask for stuff, we recoil a little bit. And you know, I think all throughout church history we've been given like these prayer diagrams, you know, prayer formulas. I grew up in a church where I read prayers as a single. I didn't really understand what they were talking about. We did it every single week. And, you know, um, I think that um, as as a child, or even as somebody who doesn't know God, the first prayer that you typically ask is a supplication for intercessory prayer. Right? When I first got saved, it was a prayer to, to God that was basically like, God, uh, help me know you. It really wasn't a confessionary prayer. I mean, I know that's like what the movies typically have. It's like some guy just randomly breaking down and saying, you know, I know that that, and I know that that happens, but a lot of friends that I've had that, when they, you know, got saved later in life, which I did, often it's just a, man, I just encountered this Christianity religion. It's kind of weird. Um, but, God, if you're real, okay, I want to know, like, show yourself. You know, and that's often a, a first prayer. And so, um, like, there, I'm not, I started off by addressing the balance of the earth, but there is that ask and you shall, uh, I'm sorry, you don't have because you don't ask. And then Jesus does say, keep asking. So that's a principle, you know. And uh, there are a lot of things that can hinder our prayer. Like Bill Kitchen, when he's talking about prayer, he brought a great one. Um, Peter says that, you know, if you mistreat the wives, you're gonna, your prayers are going to be hindered. So often we blame God that our prayers are hindered, when actually there may be some things in our lives that are hindering our prayers. It's not that God doesn't want to give us something. It's something in our lives that are keeping us from, you know, God wanting to bless us in that situation. It's, that can be a very multifaceted conversation. But the reason our community group studies prayer is just, well, let's look at how people pray for the Bible and let's pray like that. There's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that's going on. Individual sin, how we read, why didn't I get this thing? You could ask that for a long time, and that's a long discussion. But we want to first, we're, we're, we're first just told, just, you need to just ask, because that demonstrates trust. When I ask God for things, rather than when I say, I'm really going to depend on Tolstoy University to come through and make an extra five Jesus here. Now I'm, now I'm like looking for, first of all, godly things, but... I'm trusting you because I'm just focusing on asking him. I could ask my boss for a raise, sure. But I need to be asking God, you know, for things as well. If we don't ask God for anything, I don't know how we step away from that feeling like we're trusting God. Yeah, you bring up a lot of valid points, um, and this is where we'll wrap. Uh, there's a diversity in the economy of prayer. I mean, you brought up, I don't know what that is. Uh, you literally just brought up, like, Sin in our lives can impede our ability to pray to God. Uh, there's a confessional aspect to that, right? Uh, you also bring up, um, and maybe using G6 Jets was a bit of a, too much of a heavy joke, but um, I think what happens is because we see so many abuses in our culture, um, we, we see that stuff and we are afraid to ask. When you're right, we should be bringing, like Paul says, basically everything at all times to God in all areas of life. But I, I also think there's one tricky aspect of supplication, maybe my closing warning, and that is that I think in healthy churches, it's it's far more sophisticated the way we unhealthily ask.
actually. So we want to pray for that way. And then when we don't get it, we equate it with God's lack of care for us. Or when our kids don't do exactly what we want. These, these are sort of propositional transactions. We need to bring these things to God. And we need to interact with them. But we just want to be careful that we don't ever let a... Um, wherever we are in the economy of supplication, and if you read the Bible, that can be really quick and like forever. We want to make sure that we are we are rooted in the character and nature of God so that we can actually understand not only who he is, but uh, Abe's mentioned multiple examples in the Bible of places where God and people, where, where prayer was happening. And so it does us well to really, from Genesis to Revelation, look at examples, biblical examples of prayer. And it also does us well to talk to people who have robust praying lives. Uh, it's amazing. I've talked to some people, um, people that really pray, and sometimes I get envious because I feel like they pray, they, they have a burden to pray in a way that I don't, not that I don't want to pray. I'm just saying they, it's like their gift, and they see things happen. And so pray with all this persistence, confidence in all things, and without ceasing the trusting heart. Um, I would say err on the side of going to God and talking to people that um, that you can also uh, have some good in your life. Now, we're at time, so I want to definitely rush a couple minutes over, but I hope this week, as we as we move towards uh, Thanksgiving, maybe this is a week where, for a moment, you, you focus on the steps of the swing, like I said. Rather than swinging the bat concretely, you actually take a moment and really think about some things to be thankful for, and I would encourage you to do that right now. He's going to come and just sort of strum us out here. Think about what we discussed this morning. Pray about it. If you have questions about life or faith, if you have questions about what we have talked about today, objections, we welcome those too. We definitely want you to feel like uh, the conversation about prayer has not ended. It's really beginning as you move into your uh, week, whatever that looks like. But spend some time focusing on what it means to be thankful, and especially for, for Jesus and what he's done for us. And so if you have questions about anything, you can let us know in those connection cards. Uh, if you are online, you can contact us through the office. This is also the time we receive our gifts and our offerings. So if you're a partner with us, a gospel partner member, we've committed to support the mission and ministry of Jesus. Thank you for your fidelity there. If you're visiting, we simply ask that you do that the Lord leads, whether you're here or online. Take those cards and those gifts and put them in those towers as we exit after this brief time of response and our benediction. Now, if you would focus your heart's attention on Jesus and what it means to be thankful for not just who he is, but for what he's done.
attentive ears to everything that is going on in your life. And as you go, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father in heaven, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace, happy Thanksgiving, and drive safe. It is like torrential. Please be careful.